So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, the title of this message is Square Peg in a Round Hole. Uh Uh-oh. All right, I'm done. We'll just wrap it up there. (laughs) Square peg in a round hole. Come on, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we just, uh, we love you so much. So grateful to to be able to come together as a family and just hear from your word. God, I thank you for an amazing time in worship this morning. And God, I ask that uh, as we hear from your word that uh, you would bless these words, God. You would bless this moment, that these words that are spoken and, and come out of your Bible, Father, they would fall in hearts ready to receive And God, as we learn to transform our minds, to renew our minds to what you have for us, God, I ask that you would speak to us right now. We thank you for an amazing day in your house. We give you all the glory and all the honor you deserve. Come on, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So we're talking about identity this morning. Identity. And when I was prepping for this message, uh, I I usually study out of the ESV or or the New King James Version, which is kind of dear to my heart. It's what I studied through in Bible school. But occasionally when I'm looking at a passage to go and base a scripture off, sometimes I look at the message version just to kind of get like a fresh, fresh take on it. So I'm going to read the same passage we just read in Romans, but in the message version. This will really help us set up what we're talking about today. Uh, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, which is always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you and develops well-formed maturity in you. We're talking about identity this morning. We're talking about being people that sets our minds, knowing that we are founded by him first, we are his first, that our identity is rooted in Jesus versus the things that the world wants us to do. Because so often the world casts its opinions on us, right? Come on, who knows what I'm talking about? Who says that because you've done this or because you've done that or you were born this way, that's the way you're going to be or this and that. And sometimes it's even good things, right? I led worship for six, I've been leading worship for 16 years and I even put worship leading as my identity for the longest time. And God was saying, you know, that's good. Worship leading is a good thing, but it's not who you are. You are who you are because of me. Jesus is the, the foundation of my life. And if we put those things in our life, and that's what the world wants us to do, we can get really stuck really quick. So square peg and around now. Who knows those games that when you were a kid, you just tried to like take the, the weird shape and you had to put it in the precise hole? Anyone remember those games? Or the puzzle? Who knows the, the thousand piece puzzle that you're missing like 13 pieces from? And at the end, you're like, this piece is going to fit here. I'm just going to squish it and form it in. My son did that one time where he's just like, he put the shape in backwards and just kind of like tore the shape and put it in the hole. He's like, I'm done. I was like, no, you're not. That's, that's wrong. My daughter, Harper, who's here with us today, she is, uh, she's feisty. She's, uh, she's feisty. And she will get so frustrated in a moment. She is, she is an angel, but in a second, she will turn crazy for about 10 seconds. 
And I've watched her when she's playing with these games where it's like, you got to put the little hexagon in right there. And she's just like, no. She just gets furious. And then she'll like 10 seconds have an outburst and then she'll be like, I love you. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with her. But those games get you so frustrated and, and to the point where like Harper knows who she is. She is just unabashed. She loves Moana. Okay, so she's playing these games. She has no shame that she loves Moana. We're going to play a video, uh, I'm going to have the team queue up, that just kind of shows how much she doesn't care, and she will sing her heart out whenever she wants. Check this out. That's awesome. You can only do that if you're secure in who you are. She doesn't care what people say. You know, hear me sing about Moana. She does not care. She is who she is. But if we're honest with ourselves, we often feel insecure. Those who hide it best often feel it the most. But our insecurity is an invitation from God to escape the danger of false beliefs about who we are and find true peace about who he is. Come on, I'll say that again. Our insecurity is an invitation from God to escape the danger of false beliefs about who we are and find true peace about who he is. I started losing my hair. <laughs> long time ago. Uh, I was probably like 22 when I started losing my hair. And all the bald, all the bald represents in the house. There we go. There's a few. Um, as a 20-year-old, it's, it's like the most humiliating thing ever, right, to be losing your hair. It's like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to. No, I'm not bald. I was such a pro, guys, at doing my hair in the morning. I would spend like 15, 20 minutes, and I would just, I would get it all right. I didn't have like the comb-over thing yet, but I was just like, I had like flaps that would come down to hide the receding hairline going on. Like, I didn't have a Donald Trump thing going with the, the flap, but I had enough to where it was just like perfectly just, whew, and Pastor Jason's got a little bit going on, but don't tell him I said anything. Um, <laughs> he's going to hear this podcast, but I'll edit it out, I promise. No, he's got the Paris curse. We all got The Parishes have this curse. So I was so good at like just, <laughs> no one even knew. But then after a while, it just kept falling and falling, and I had like four strands. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> it didn't work. And I was, I was so scared of it. I was so, I was so nervous. I was so scared because I, I, I knew people knew, but I just wanted to pretend that people didn't know. And I, was, I knew what the world thought of what bald people were until I realized, you know, bald is awesome. Like, once you shave your, thank you, thank you. I like how this turned into a town hall meeting. Just like, yes! But I, I, I just had this, this idea of what a man is supposed to be. You know, I pictured Thor with, like, his long hair and, like, this warrior. And then me stepping out like, hey, guys. I mean, hey. Do I get a helmet or do I need it? I don't know. But I wasn't comfortable with being bald. And then there just come to a point in my life where it's like, you know what? Enough is I'm done. Just shave it off. And I got to tell you, it is pretty awesome. The only downside is it's really cold outside when you go out without a hat. But other than that, like, I can wake up late and no one even knows. <laughs> a little water on the face. <laughs> Pastor Louise, you, you, like, if you woke up late, you got to spend time doing your hair. You got the little buzz line there. Like, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> I'm so happy that I'm bald. 
I got dealt a really bad hand cards, guys. Sorry. Someone's like, is this what this message is about? Get to the point. But it's kind of like our identity in Christ. I'll spin it there. Come on. Thank you. Transition. Terrible. We live in a world that is so full of people that are lost, where many believe that they simply don't fit in. We live in a world where many people are searching for a sense of belonging from someone or something. We live in a time where many are experiencing an identity crisis. In other words, we don't know who we are. We've lost our identity. Too many people gain their identity from the latest fashion trends or popular expectations from their peers. Come on, someone knew that, know that person or are that person. Many Christians gain their identity from their family background, their work relationships, or even uh, another form of what someone else has said that you are. And again, I, I mentioned this earlier, I, I've been leading worship for 16 years, and for a long time, I thought this was my identity. I, I thought this is who I am, and, and when we launched the well, we moved from Phoenix, and we were here for about six to eight months before we, I wasn't doing anything in church, worship leading or anything. So for those six to eight months, I, I really felt empty, because I didn't feel like I was using what I thought my identity was. So that thing that you've elevated to what I'm going to be or what I think that I am, whether that's a business owner or a college student or whatever that may be, it may be that I'm a failure or that I've screwed up or what it may be, when you elevate that stuff over the fact that Jesus should be our identity, the moment that you take a hit, the moment that you walk through a season, the moment where something changes, we feel empty. Does anyone know what I'm talking about this morning? What is the blank, what is the thing, what is whatever that is, what is that that you're putting before Jesus as your identity. And I want to read what Paul emphasized to the church in Ephesus. He, he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 13, we'll have it on the screen again. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of of his glorious grace, with which he had blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through, the, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That's a good word, lavished. Go home and tell your spouse, man, I want to lavish my love on you. <laughs> Don't say it right now, it's going to get weird. <laughs> I have ADD when I preach, guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> According to his riches and grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined. Got it. According to the works of all things, according to the counsel of his will, in verse 12, it says, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Come on. He's, he's saying, listen, guys, do you, do you know the inheritance that you have waiting for you at the end? So many times we walk this life thinking that I need to have a successful business to be my identity, to succeed. And if we can just grasp and realize the inheritance that we have waiting for us, come on, we've read to the end of the book and we've won. Yeah. 
Our inheritance is sealed with, with what he did on the cross, and now Jesus becomes all things so that we don't have to worry about saying, you know what, in order to succeed in this life, I've got to grow a business, or I've got to be a great student, or I've got to be a great worship leader, I've got to be all this. No, you are in Christ first. And Paul is stressing it because the church at Ephesus was lost, seeking, not understanding who they were. And they're missing the bigger picture. Guys, you're trying to seek all these things to make great. And the cool thing is that God's already done it. And your inheritance is waiting for you. It, it says in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He is our life. Not only the guarantee of it in heaven, but the down payment of it by the Spirit as he lives in us. His joy becomes our joy. His love, our love. His peace, our peace. And his strength, our strength. If we can at least at the bottom floor establish today that he is our identity and not anything else, we can build a strong foundation. And I, I, so many times, putting other things of our identity, it's almost like building a house backwards, right? You're putting the nice paint on, on the outside of the exterior, the nice furnishings on the inside, or the weird colored door, which apparently is a thing. I, I was like, your door is orange, you know that? Bright, bright orange. It's or okay. You, apparently it's a fad I didn't know about. But so, so often we're trying, we're, we're trying to paint the house the nice color and stop worrying about the foundation. The foundation of our life needs to be based on the fact that we are called by him, that our identity is rooted, that Jesus, come on, in all things, who sealed our guarantee and our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He is our life. And I just want us to get that base of an understanding. Too many people are trying to make their gifting their identity, like, like I, I did. When I said that, when I come into church, so I, this is, I just must be a greeter, and that's all I ever do, is just sit people in their seats, and here you go, enjoy church, bye. No, but if you could stand and say, you know what, today's going to be a good day, because I know Jesus won, I've got inheritance waiting for me in heaven, I'm excited to be at church, that I know that when I'm not serving, that my identity is not the fact that I'm not actually seating people or I'm not actually leading worship or I'm not running sound or I'm not finding uh, parking spots or whatever we do in the church and even outside of the church. When we walk through those moments where we're not operating in that thing that we think is our identity, we could still stand confidently knowing that Jesus is our identity. Come on, somebody. Gifting will come out of the, realiza or the realization that Jesus is our everything. We keep trying to put it first, and it's backwards. And that's what Paul's saying, renew your minds. Change the way that you think, because we're trying to build a house backwards. He said, start with the base foundation. I have called you. I love you. And there's, maybe there's someone in here today that doesn't feel like they even have a calling or even have a gifting, because they're not understanding that Jesus first is the base of all we are. He makes up everything. So we're going to learn a little bit about Moses this morning. We're going to dig into Moses. Who loves Moses? I love Moses. We all know the story. If you've watched the cartoon or read the Bible, but I'll set it up for you. Pharaoh is king. He is oppressing Israel at this point. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 2, but in verse 1, it kind of sets up everything. He's killing every newborn son. Every son that is born, Pharaoh says, send them out. They're done. Moses is born a Hebrew, so he, at the point that he took his first breath, was condemned to die. That's a bad hand to be dealt. I was, I was complaining about my bald story, and Moses was like, the moment you have breath, he's going to be thrown in the water. So his mother puts him in a basket and floats him down a river. Parents, not so much a good idea. It kind of worked out for Moses, but don't, don't do it. Don't do it. He's found by Pharaoh's daughter, and he grows up as Pharaoh's son. Okay, we're going to pick it up in, in Exodus chapter 2. That's the... Uh, Cliff Notes version, if you will. 
Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking at this way and seeing that no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you the ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me just as you killed the Egyptian? <laughs> I would love to be there for that conversation. <laughs> like, whoa, are you just going to kill me like you do everything else, Moses? <laughs> I don't know why I thought, like, thought that. <laughs> then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. He really just had a realization as, oh, no, Pharaoh knows that I killed somebody. He's going to kill me. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill their troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. Moses had to deal with this at the very beginning of his life. In Egypt, a baby, like we talked about, the baby, the baby boys that were born were condemned to die, and and he had, at the moment, an identity crisis of who he was. He was born Jewish, but he was raised Egyptian. So he had to ask himself at some point, who am I? Have you ever just sat and, like, come to a crossroads in your life and said, who am I? Moses had this moment. There was quite an important choice to be made because it would determine the rest of his life. He was in line to be Pharaoh. If he said, I'm an Egyptian and faked his, inherit- or faked his heritage, he would live a a life of ease. I mean, he was going to be king. He would have an outstanding career. He would have fame and fortune. But if he said who he really was, which was Jewish, he would have been humiliated, kicked out of the palace, and sent to live with a bunch of slaves for the rest of his life. Yet Moses saw his people being mistreated, and he could not be silent anymore. He was a man of character and integrity. He could not quell his own conscience, so he made a decision to be who God had called him to be, which meant killing someone, but don't do that. Please don't do that. But Moses made a decision. He was at a crossroads saying, you know, I'm going to be who God has called me to be. I'm not going to admit, I'm not going to say, you know what, I I was raised an Egyptian and just become Pharaoh. This is who I am. I'm going to stand up for what I know is right. And he did something, which cost him a lot of time of his life. By that point, we learn Moses, when when he made the determination that, you know, this is who I am, he was 40 years old. When he went and killed the Egyptian and ran off, he spent 40 years 40 years herding sheep. Who's got a boring job? Anybody? (laughs) 40 years herding sheep. Come on, that's tough. But there's something liberating about just being yourself, isn't there? At the end of the day when you could stand and be like, you know what, this is who I am. I'm not ashamed. I know this is who I am, who God made you to be. And we need to hold firm to that. Hold firm like Moses decided to make a decision and said, this is who I am. I could take the easy road and I could say, you know what, if I have a great career and I put all of my trust and hope into this one thing, I I think things will be fine. But God is saying, listen, I've got more. This is who you are. I've called you to be something greater. So three things will happen when we hold to our identity that we learn from Moses. Number one, it's going to lead to blessing and provision. It's going to lead to blessing and provision. We see this by Moses when he actually got to, he, he stood in the presence of God, and God went over all the things that he was about to do for Moses. Moses made the decision. Now, granted, he spent 40 years without nothing. Like, he was just herding sheep for 40 years. Take some time. But ultimately, God provided and said, listen, Moses, this is what I'm going to do for you. Here's your staff. I'm going to be behind you. You're going to set my people free. Let my people go. You're going to walk in, and I'm going to provide. 
It will lead to blessing and provision. Number two, it's going to show everyone who God made you to be. Moses leading the, uh, the people of Israel to freedom. People saw God in the midst of when Moses was doing. The miracles that Moses was provided, the people saw God in the midst of that. So when he held firm to that identity, people, like, they saw Jesus in him. They saw God in him. And number three, you know, there's going to be a struggle, but we need to learn to embrace it. Again, he, was, he spent 40 years before making the decision. I've talked to so many people that have like, you know what, Justin, I'm just going to live for Christ, and he is everything that I am. And then tomorrow, I know that he's going to put me on a platform, and I'm just going to stand in front of people and preach thousands and do all this stuff, and nah, let's go. And it's like, nah, maybe there's some time that's going to have to take place. Come on, somebody. Maybe there's your 40 years of herding sheep that you got to go through for a while. I know that you've made the decision, and God's going to bless you, and he's going to honor you, and he's going to provide for you in those moments, but there's some time that you've got to go through. And those are the hard, that's the hard times, but that's where God is making us stronger. But it doesn't change the fact that we've rooted our identity in him. So in those 40 years of walking through, Moses knew who he was. That's why he kept on doing it, because he knew that God was going to come. It's easy to put down and just sit down and be like, you know what, I'm done, I can't do it anymore. But if we understand who we are in Jesus, come on, somebody. We can realize that, you know what, it may be rough right now. I may have gone through something in the past few days or weeks or months or years that has affected my life. But I'm going to stand and trust in God that he's got me, that I am his, that my identity is not founded on that one thing, that my identity is rooted in Jesus. We are made in the image of God. We learn this in Genesis. Right? It says, let's make man in our image. We try to conform to what the world wants us, but we're missing the chance to show people who God is in us. The world wants you to shove a square peg in a round hole, and God is saying, listen, I've got more for you. I want people to see me through you. So don't elevate your giftings before you elevate me, because ultimately we are nothing without him, as we learn that he is our inheritance anyway. But there's going to be some struggle, so we need to learn to embrace it. Who is your Pharaoh? Who is the person that's going to stand against you? Number three, there will be struggle. Who is your Pharaoh? That's what Moses ran into. He ran into struggle. He ran into opposition after that 40 years. Then what happened? He had to watch in and confront Pharaoh, his so father that he thought was, and Pharaoh didn't want to go down easily, right? He put up a fight. That was a, that was a struggle for Moses. There will be struggle. We need to learn to embrace it. Is this good this morning? Anyone get anything else? Okay. Four ways having our identity. How do we unpack this practically? Four ways having our identity in Christ changes us. <laughs> Number one, we don't fear the future. We don't fear the future. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 15 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions of, as sons who cry, Abba, Father. If we have peace with God, then we have nothing to fear in this earth. Our eternities are secure as adopted sons and daughters. Come on, somebody. So we don't need to fear financial collapse. We don't need to fear losing our job or getting sick. Like, I, I, you met those people that are just like so like, do you have hand sanitizer? I just went through the three minutes and whoa, that place. <laughs> have you been to the kids' ministry? It is a Petri dish. I need to go home and just soak my kids in Purell. They're so scared. We, sometimes we get ridiculed for our faith. Of course, these are things that aren't easy or painless, but we have confidence that our Heavenly Father is sovereign over every moment of our life and will equip us 
with every single thing that we need. He bought us with the blood of his own son that we could claim our identity and righteousness of Christ so that we can trust that he will provide for us. Come on. And everything else that we need in this world, our identity in Christ has given us direct access to our Father who we can call him with confidence. Confidence. I know that my kids can come home and just run to me when they need me because they know that I am there for him. And he's saying, have some childlike faith for a moment and come into your house and sit down and say, just go to God and know that times are frustrating. But God, I know, I know that you are there so I can just run and just, my, I love when my son run, runs up to me, he just gives me a hug. Because I know that 100% of him trusts me implicitly in that moment. There's not one ounce of distrust in that moment. And the cool thing is we read in Ephesians that our God is the same, that we have inheritance in him. What he did on the cross, when he sealed it, when he rose from the grave, we have that same, uh, the same comfort in knowing that our Father is providing for us. And when we can know that and build that and weave that into our life as our identity, we don't have to fear the future. I'm tired of worrying. Come on, who is sick and tired of worrying about their bank account balance? Who is sick and tired of worrying about their job security? Who is sick and tired of worrying about what grades you're going to get on that test? Me and my wife celebrated 10 years of marriage. Like, it's awesome. Uh, and I would tell a really quick funny story. Um, the day that, so she, she was in Texas for a year during our engagement, doing some school. I lived in Phoenix. And what was going to happen was we were going to fly up to Seattle for like a week and get married. And then she was going to fly back and, and live in Arizona. And I had this job at a financial firm, and I was taking a test to pass my Series 6, which is the uh, license to trade mutual funds and bonds. And boring. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> if you do that, it's really not boring. I'm sorry. It's a great job. Uh, I said that in the earlier service. It's like, man, I trade stocks and bonds. I'm sorry. Um, I wasn't making fun of you, I swear. Uh, so we had this test that I had to take, and the, the, the company gave you two chances. If you failed it twice we got to fire you, and then you have to go become a pastor. I'm sorry. That's what you got to do. Um, <laughs> it's kind of what I felt like. So first time, did I pass it? No. I failed it miserably, like 38%, like not even trying. Uh, the second time I took this, I'm not kidding. I don't know how the stars aligned to make this happen. The day that I was getting on a plane to meet my bride, future bride, in Seattle, was the day that I was taking my second test. Literally hours before I was about to get on a plane. And they give you the test results right then. It's like the worst thing ever. It's like as soon as you hit submit, it's like beep, 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 beep. Eh. Just shows you this grade right there. And you're like, oh. So I had this flight that was leaving at 6, and I, my test was like at noon. And so I knew, like, I knew that on that flight, I may not have a job when I got home. Because you knew, like, they're like, if you, if you fail a second time, just don't come in. It's not worth it. We're going to kick you out. It's not going to be good. So just don't come in. I was so scared. Like, can you imagine just the, I was, as I was in the hand of the mouse, I was like, C, click, ah, and just so scared about this moment because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't have my future understanding of, like, I may not have a job. Can you imagine that, walking down the aisle, and I got to look her dad in the eye and be like, hey. <laughs> hey, man. I'm all bald and patchy and like, ah. I had like $13 in my bank account. I'm like, we're good. <laughs> oh, man, so scary. But I was fearing the future in that moment because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to happen, and that's the same with our own life. When we don't know the next day, we get so scared. But, man, 
and I'm preaching to myself because it's really easy to forget this, but to understand who we are in Christ, man, I don't care what my bank account says anymore. I don't care what the doctor's report is because I believe that if Jesus has my identity, he's going to provide for me, and no matter what happens, my inheritance in heaven is secure, that I've got a greater something to step into than what I'm fearing right now in this moment. I passed. And I still had $13 in my bank account when I married my wife, so praise God. Oh, man. I barely passed, though. It was like, it was like 72%. It was like, whew. All right. Number two. Everyone say number two. We don't seek our old ways. Having our identity in Christ changes us that we don't seek our old ways. 1 John Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possession is not of the Father, but is, in, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If we are not seeking to find our eternity in Christ alone, then we're ultimately seeking it in something else. We live in a life where we're always seeking something, and something's always filling a void. And if we're not seeking identity in Christ alone, we're, we're trying to fill it with something else. That could be a relationship, that could be a job, could be leading worship, that could be whatever. Fill, fill in that blank with whatever you might be struggling with and I struggle with. However, when our identity is in the eternal things of Christ, we will not be crushed by our failures, come on, and our weaknesses, and fall into pride from worldly success or despair. Whoa. That was just as loud as it was the first service, and it still scared me. Um, we won't get lost seeking the attractive, empty things that the world wants to offer, but Christ gives us a stable and eternal hope in him. When we put our identity in other things, when they disappear, we're left with nothing. And they ultimately will go away. Money does not last. The doctor's prescriptions won't last. The, the, the report that you get back, the whatever, will not last. But Christ does. If God is the center of our identity, we are always complete no matter what happens. Number three, we don't worry about comparison. Mm. Comparison, come on, that's a thief of joy now. Comparison, comparing ourselves to those around us or judging the decisions that others can make can suck the life right out of you, can't they? I told this story earlier, like, Devon, who loves Devon? Somebody, come on. We've got so many great worship leaders, but Devon was like, kind of like, uh, he came to me and said, man, I want to lead worship. I want to, come on, like, grow me and build me and let me lead. I'm like, all right, let's do it, man. Let's do it. I'm going to have you be on this one service, okay? This was probably like into our third year, fourth year of, of being a church. He, he, he came and said, okay, so I'm going to put you up there. Now, this is your weekend, man, so you got to pick the songs. You gotta pray over this service. You gotta you gotta lead the team. You gotta find the music. You gotta do all the stuff. And Devon did an amazing job. And I've been leading worship here for the, the since we started the church. And I had the I had the sweet lady come up to me afterwards. She's like, you know, man, the spirit when that man leads is just flowing. It is flowing. And she kept going. She's like, the anointing fell and there was light shining and like the robes parted and was like. And it's like, Jesus was so, I've never felt the spirit before like that ever. I was like, 
cool. <laughs> Blessing, sister. Love you. That was a bomb that exploded in my heart. I was like, I've been leading worship here so long. And someone's like, little kazoo. <laughs> I thought, no. Come on now. This moment that you compare yourself to someone, you, can, you make a decision to literally destroy yourself. The moment you compare yourself to somebody else, like I tried to do with Devon, you rob God of his masterpiece in you. Because I know that I have called to lead worship. I know that Devon is called to lead worship. And, and both of us can have good callings. And I don't have to compare myself to him. And he doesn't have to compare himself to me. Because I know that my eternal hope, the calling that God put on my heart is secure. And I knew. I knew in that moment. I knew in that moment that, you know what? Yes, awesome. Devon led worship. But I'm also called to lead worship. And I, and I can let it affect me. We can let comparison like all things do. When you size them up, you're like, mm, Okay. You could let that moment just literally destroy your heart and just fester inside you. And God is saying, listen, I want you. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Don't try to shove a square peg in a round hole the world's trying to do. You are the better version of you, not the knockout version of someone else. God wants you. Number four, we don't change when suffering comes. Mm. Leave the worst one for the last. Just... <laughs> Suffering? What? We don't change when suffering comes. And this is, again, this, all these four points are talking about ways that our identity, having our identity in Christ changes us. Number one, we don't fear the future because we know that all things, it doesn't matter. He's got our inheritance in heaven. We don't seek our old ways. If you're filling it with Jesus, you don't have to fill it with anything else. Number three, we don't worry about comparison. Come on. And number four, we don't change when suffering comes. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him. There's the part of the scripture no one likes to really read. It says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be, obey, also may be glorified with him. If our identity in Christ, if our identity is in Christ, excuse me, then we are guaranteed that one day we will identify with him in his sufferings. Just as Christ's sufferings were not hopeless and wasted, neither will ours be. Christ's sufferings defeated sin and death, and therefore we identify with him as he uses sufferings to put death to sin in us. Just as gold, when you've seen that process when gold is made, it comes out of the ground and it's dirty and it's gross, and you've got to put it through fire and you've got to melt it, and then you've got to, it comes to the top and there's that black stuff that comes to the top and they swipe it away and they put it back down, and it's the refining process, and that's what suffering is. And God's saying, listen, can you embrace it a little bit, knowing that this churning up of all this stuff, I'm not just doing this in vain, that I'm instilling some things into your life. When Moses fled, he was 40 years, and he spent 40 years by himself. He was even 80 when he spoke to Pharaoh for the first time. There was some suffering. There was some time spent where he didn't feel like, man, what am I doing? But we don't change when suffering comes. I'm going to ask the team to come up here. How long is it going to be after you embrace your true identity that you're going to walk through some stuff? We could spend our lives fearing pain and suffering, or we can start to thank God for the times of reprieve. Then we can trust the seasons of suffering to Christ's purpose in our lives, to identify with and become more like him. Where do you find yourself seeking identity outside of Christ today? I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself too. I'm preaching to myself because it's, it's not something that's always easy to remember. It's sometimes easy for us to forget. Do you find yourself holding tightly to something in fear that you'll lose it? Do you have a little bit of FOMO, fear of missing out? 
Sometimes in God's grace, he allows the very thing we fear losing to be taken away to reveal that what we have sought after for our identity is something bigger than him. Sometimes in his grace, he allows that because he's saying, listen, look at what you've put above me. No wonder why you're searching and angry and scared and fearful because you, you've elevated this above me and if you can just understand the access that you have to trusting in my name, come on, there's so many things that we can get released to. Come on, if you could stand to your feet with me in this moment.